Welcome to the sermon podcast of Old Bridge Baptist Church. Our mission at OBBC is to make disciples of Christ who connect with God, others, ministry, and the lost. We pray that the following sermon will encourage you in your walk with Christ today. Visit us on the web anytime at obb.church. I gave Asaberry a chance to not read that, and he, he volunteered, so... If you would, turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 5. And as you're turning there, I have a, a short, very short video I want to show you. And uh, I po- apologize in advance for what you're about to see. One of these things is not like the others. One of these things doesn't belong. Can you tell which thing is not like the other by the time I finish this song? I told you I apologize. I really uh, wanted to share that with you because it's been stuck in my head all week. One of these things is not like the others. One of these things doesn't belong. Can you tell which thing is not like the others by the time I finish this song? That, that particular um, song is from my childhood, uh, growing up watching Sesame Street, and it, it popped in my head as I was studying this genealogy. And I'll explain to you why in just a moment. Let's, let's pause for one more word of prayer before we dive in. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your matchless word. And uh, Lord, we, we know that you tell us that um, all your words are flawless. Lord, we believe that uh, your word is, is breathed out by you. It's all inspired by you, even the genealogies, Lord. And so we come to it this morning, Lord, expectantly. We ask, Lord, that you would uh, encourage us and build us up and even admonish us, Lord, through this word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, today's pas- passage is a lot like that old Sesame Street song. Uh, because in this genealogy, we, we have a very strong pattern, don't we? A very strong pattern. And one thing in this pattern is not like all the others. It stands out. Uh, this genealogy traces the godly line from, from God, really, to Adam, to Seth, and then on down through the generations, down to the 10th generation, which leads us to Noah, who had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now, as we read that genealogy just a few moments ago, there, there was a very predictable pattern. It went something like this. When, when so-and-so had lived X number of years, he fathered so-and-so. Then he lived for Y number of more years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of his life were X plus Y years, and he died. That's the pattern. It repeats over and over again. In fact, there's almost a refrain here, especially with that last phrase. Uh, A refrain of death is what stands out if you really meditate on this chapter of the Bible. It just It's like it goes on, and he died, and he died, and he died, and he died. 
And then suddenly, in, in the seventh generation from Adam, the pattern is broken. And if that doesn't sort of startle you as you're reading this chapter, then you're, you haven't thought about it long enough and you're not paying attention. Look at, look at verses 21 uh, through 24 again in your Bibles. It says here, When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah, and Enoch walked with God. After he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters, Thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. Now we're going to talk about uh, the longevity of these ancient people who lived for 900 plus years. We're probably going to talk about that next time we're in Genesis together, which should be two weeks away from today. But we're not going to focus in on that. I mean, that's kind of a glaring thing as you read through this. It's always the first question that comes to your mind is, you know, why in the world are these people living so long? And we will address that a little bit in the future, but uh, this morning we want to focus in here on Enoch. Enoch, the seventh from Adam through Seth. And really, if you remember back, hopefully you were here last week or you were able to catch the, the podcast or something. Last week as we were looking in Genesis chapter 4, we saw the, the line of Adam through Cain, which we talked about being sort of the ungodly line from Adam, right? And that genealogy at the end of Genesis chapter 4 also went to the seventh generation. And at the seventh generation, we had a man named Lamech. Now, don't confuse Lamech from Genesis chapter 4 with Lamech, the father of Noah. They're different guys, okay? But Lamech from Genesis chapter 4 was an, was an evil guy. As we zoomed back in on the line of Cain, the evil line of Cain, and we looked at the, the seventh generation, what we see is a man who killed a youth just for a trivial matter. And he boasted about it. Not only that, Lamech was a, a pioneer in, in sexual freedom in his day. Right? He was... He was at least the very first person in the Bible to be recorded as one who took two wives, broke the biblical pattern that was given in Genesis chapter 2 of one man, one woman for one lifetime. And so now here in Genesis chapter 5 as we're tracing the godly line through Seth, and we come down to the seventh generation, we, we find Enoch. And we see here really two things here in verse 24, that Enoch walked with God. You know, when the the Jews translated the Old Testament from the Hebrew into Greek in about the second or third century before Christ, when they translated this verse, they didn't translate it literally, Enoch walked with God. They sort of paraphrased it. They, they translated Enoch pleased God. And the reason that's important and the reason I'm mentioning that to you here is that it becomes obvious that the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 11, when he's speaking of Enoch, he speaks of Enoch being someone who was pleasing to God. He was obviously looking at the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, which... Um, I think is is helpful to connect those two phrases, that Enoch was someone who walked with God or who pleased God, 
And the text also tells us here that a time came when he was not. Right? That God took him. Now, I think if, if all we had was Genesis chapter 5, we might be tempted at this point to think that, that what this is talking about is, is just God took him in death. Right? A euphemism for death. But when you turn to the New Testament, the New Testament certainly clarifies what is meant here. If you look at Ephesians chapter, I'm sorry, Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 5, that Asbury read just a few moments ago. Um, if you look at that verse, it says very clearly that by faith Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And that he was found not because God had taken him. Makes it abundantly clear, doesn't it? This isn't God taking Enoch in death. This is God suddenly trans translating him to heaven. There's a poet by the name of Lucy Shaw that wrote a poem entitled Enoch. She said this, Enoch crossed the gap another way. He changed his pace, but not his company. So that's the, the brief, very brief overview of Enoch's life that we have here from Genesis chapter 5. It's not very much. We have that he walked with God and that he was suddenly taken into the presence of the Lord. Now that kind of puts Enoch in some elite company, doesn't it? In the Bible. I mean, the Bible only tells us of, of two people who this, this actually happened to, right, before they died. One being Enoch, and the other one being, you guys know? What? Elijah, that's right, you do know. Elijah, 2 Kings chapter 2, Elijah was swept off to heaven in a whirlwind in chariots of fire. It's a thrilling chapter of the Bible if you've never read that. I would encourage you to check that out. And so that seems to put Enoch in sort of an elite category of, of believers, doesn't it? Of, of someone who was, for whatever reason, taken by God and didn't have to experience the, the, the curse of death. I think it's a mistake to put Enoch and even Elijah into some elite category all their own. I don't think God took Enoch and Elijah to heaven so that we would marvel at them. I think he took Enoch and Elijah to heaven so that we would marvel at him. This is much less about Enoch than you think. This is all about God and his purposes. God was giving us a sign through Enoch. And I think the pattern here that we've been talking about is key. As I said, the, the pattern from Adam ever since the fall has been you live, you try not to get murdered by your brother, right? And hopefully then you get married and you have kids, and you scratch out a living from the dust, and then you die. Generation after generation, that's all we know about these folks, that they lived, they had offspring, and then they died, even in the godly line here. But then here in the seventh generation, God suddenly takes the godly Enoch as a sign. And I, I think the sign is this, that those who walk with God in this life will most assuredly walk with him in the next. I mean, what an incredible sign to Enoch's generation, to the ancient world. 
right? They've all been thrust out of the garden as a consequence for sin, as a consequence for eating of the tree. And year after year, there's death. Generation after generation. I think, I think initially, I, you know, from reading the text, these first four chapters of Genesis, I really think that Adam and Eve maybe wondered if God was going to send the deliverer right away. But he didn't. Right? And eventually Adam and Eve died and that generation died and, and on, on down through the line there was just death and death and death. And Meanwhile, the line of Cain, the, the evil line is flourishing out in the wilderness. And, and certainly people must have wondered, especially those who worship God must have wondered, you know, what was there any hope? Where is the promised deliverer that God said he would send through the seed of the woman? And then suddenly there's one man, very early in the history of the world, who just as things were getting really rough, was commended as one who pleased God, and then one day suddenly, whoosh, he was gone. I mean, what an incredible sign. It just, it sticks out like a, a blaring alarm light in the middle of this chapter. And especially since it's the seventh from Adam in the line of Seth in contrast to the seventh in the line of Cain, the wickedness of, of that man. Those who walk with the Lord can have the hope of going to be with him. The curse doesn't have to be the last word. Death does not have to be the last word. There's someone who escaped, and his name is Enoch. So I don't think we're intended to put Enoch or Elijah on a pedestal, but I do think that the scriptures make it plain three things about Enoch. We're going to look at these by way of application here this morning. One, Enoch's walk can be your walk. Two, Enoch's works can be your works. And three, Enoch's hope can be your hope. We're going to look at those one by one here. First, Enoch's walk can be your walk. You know, the, the book of Jude that was read this morning about Enoch describes Enoch being a prophet and really he was a preacher, we learn, to his generation, preaching against the ungodliness of his day. Yet the book of Hebrews makes it clear that this isn't what made Enoch pleasing to God. Right? So if we're going to talk about, hey, here's a guy that escaped death. And I want to escape death too. And then you read in the Bible that he was an amazing preacher and he preached against the ungodliness of his day. Don't come to the conclusion that, that the way to, to walk, the way Enoch walked, was, was through some sort of Herculean act of righteousness. Right? We, we don't want to jump ahead of ourselves here. The book of Hebrews makes it clear that, that this is not what made Enoch pleasing to God. What made Enoch pleasing to God was his faith. Hebrews 11 says it's by faith that Enoch was taken up, right? And it says, now before he was taken, he was commended as, as having pleased God. And then in verse 6, the, the, the writer of Hebrews goes on to say that without faith, it is impossible to please God. So it was Enoch's faith that pleased God. It was Enoch's faith that led him to walk with God and to eventually escape the punishment of death. And this is good news for us. 
right? Because this takes Enoch out of this realm of like superhuman, righteous people that we could never hope to attain and be like. And it brings them down to us. That's what the writer of Hebrews is doing, is taking these faith heroes down to our level and saying, look, these men walked by faith. You should walk by faith too in, in having a faith in the God who's unseen. Whether or not God ever gives to you the things in this life that you are hoping for and that you feel like he's promised to you, you live by faith, you walk by faith because generations of godly people before you have done the same. Enoch is, is one in this long line of men and women just like us. Enoch was not sinless. Enoch was a sinful man just like us. He needed to be saved by faith. And that's good news for us, isn't it? I mean, we can walk like Enoch through faith. Listen as I read to you a retelling of an old parable that Brian Chappell wrote in his book, Unlimited Grace. This parable tells how it can be that we may be pleasing to God by faith. So once upon a time there was a king who looked from his palace window and saw one of his children collecting flowers in a distant field. The king watched as the child collected the flowers into a bouquet and wrapped it with a ribbon of royal colors. The king smiled because the ribbon indicated that the flowers were being collected as a gift for his own pleasure. Then the king noticed that the child, because he was a child, gathered not only flowers, from time to time the child also added some weeds from the field and some ivy from the border of the woods and some thistle from the unmowed banks of ditches. To help his laboring child, the king gave a mission to his oldest son who sat at his right hand. The king said to his eldest son, go to my garden and pick from the flowers that grow there. Then when your sibling comes to my throne room with his gift, remove all that is unfit for my palace from his bouquet and make it fit by putting in its place the flowers that I have grown. So the elder brother did exactly as his father had instructed. When the younger child came to the throne room, his brother removed the weeds, the ivy, and the thistle, substituting all with flowers from the king's garden. Then the firstborn son rewrapped the royal ribbon around the bouquet so that his sibling could present his gift to the king. And with a beaming smile, the younger child entered the throne room, presented the gift, and said, Here, my father, is a beautiful bouquet that I have prepared for you. And only later would he understand that his gift has, had been made acceptable by the gracious provision of his father. Now, Brian Chappell goes on to say that the, this ancient parable reminds us of our Heavenly Father's grace. Each of us is the child with the weed-filled bouquet of good works. And though we may strive with energy and zeal to honor God, our deeds are never really worthy of his holy throne room. So our eternal king graciously provides the holiness that he requires. He has sent his eternal son, Jesus Christ, to make us and our efforts fit for heaven. Christ's sinless life, sacrificial death, and victorious resurrection are the perfect flowers that God prepared as substitutes for our weedy 
works. As we rely upon Jesus' provision rather than on our own good works or intentions, he removes the flawed and sinful deeds from the bouquet of our lives and replaces them with his perfections. When we stand before God in his heavenly throne room, everything we have given to God is made right by Christ's work on our behalf. Christ's flowers are provided by the grace of God that makes our lives bouquets acceptable and pleasing unto him. Isn't that good news? Right? If you want to know, am I pleasing to God? Well, no, you're not. Right? The best that you can gather is thorns and thistles and ivy. But God knows that. And in love, he sent his son to die on the cross for you. He sent his son to live a perfect life of righteousness in your place. He sent his son to overcome death to rise again. And it's by faith in him, just like Enoch, right? By faith in the work that he has done that we can consider ourselves pleasing unto God. Isn't that just a wonderful thing to know? God is pleased with me. And not because of, of my performance, but because of my faith in the one who is ultimately pleasing. You know, when God looked down on his son being baptized into the river, do you remember what he said to him? my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. When we are in Christ, God is well pleased with us because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You can know that you are pleasing to God today by faith. We can shake off these guilty fears and, and the sin that so easily entangles us and we can walk with freedom in the spirit of God and by faith in him. It's just a wonderful, wonderful truth that I never get tired of preaching. By faith, we can be pleasing to him. By faith, we can actually walk with the God of the universe. And so, Enoch's walk can be your walk this morning. And at the end of your life, you know what? As you look at these genealogies and, and you see how quickly, even these people who live for almost a millennium, how quickly life slips by. Scripture talks about our lives being like a vapor. Here today, gone tomorrow. Especially youth. Youth flowers for a moment and then it fades. But when we look back on our life, when our loved ones look back on our, our lives and they look at us and they say, man, my mom, she walked with God. My dad was, was in the company of the living God. Right? Or my grandmother didn't just go to church. She seemed to really know God. Isn't that the testimony you want to have of your life? A life of faith, a life of walking with God? Like Enoch, we too can walk by faith in the unseen God who has provided for us a Savior. Enoch looked forward in time to the fulfillment of God's promises. We are privileged to look back in time and see that God did indeed keep his promise. God did indeed send his son as as the savior of the world and we can place our faith in him. I just love this expression of, of walking with God. Love it. That, that really captures so much about what it means to be a Christian. It's a walk. Right? I, I think it, it really expresses a couple, three things. Maybe you could think of more, but I, I came up with three. One, it communicates relationship. 
right? Haven't you built some pretty sweet relationships on a walk? I can still remember when I just started uh, dating my wife, we would go on some long walks together and have some long, deep conversations together on a walk, right? It's a beautiful thing. There's relationship there. You're going in the same direction. You're conversing. You're experiencing things. Proverbs 13, 20 says, Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. I can tell you that I have seen people begin to walk with God and they have grown wise from walking with the God who made them. It is an incredible privilege to walk with the Lord. And there's no one wiser, there's no one better to walk with than the Lord who made you. Who do you walk with? Who do you walk with through life? I love this expression, walking with God, because it also communicates trajectory. You know, sometimes we, in life, we change drastically in a moment. Some major crisis or otherwise will enter into our life suddenly and there'll be a a major change in our life. But most of the time, I would say, change is gradual. It's gradual. We change and we grow over time. And when I consider my relationship with God, and maybe as you consider your relationship with God, I think we, we can see both of these things taking place in our, our walk with Him, right? There's often, right at the beginning, when you first come to know God, there's a moment, a, a crisis moment, where you are changed. You're born again. God plucks you out of this world, out of this world of darkness, and He opens your eyes to the glorious light of Jesus Christ and he places your feet on a new path. And then there are other, from that, from that point forward then, it is often a, a slow and steady walk as you walk with the God of the universe and he changes you and sanctifies you over time. One of my favorite bloggers, Tim Challies, he wrote on his blog a few weeks ago, said this, trajectories matter. We're all people of trajectories who wittingly or unwittingly, deliberately or carelessly, point ourselves along the narrow way that leads to salvation or the broad way that leads to, de- to destruction. What trajectory are you on? Are you on the Lord's trajectory? Are you walking with Him? Have you strayed? from that trajectory this week even. Trust that the Lord will use His Word to call you back. Walk with Him. There's no greater thing. Thirdly, I love this this language of walking with God because it communicates a process. A walk is steady and continuous step by step through the hours, through the days, through the weeks and months and years of our life. You know that verse, Micah 6.8? He has told you, O man and woman. Really a generic man there. He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. That's the Christian life, step by step. Eugene Peterson used to call this a long obedience in the same direction. And that's what we're called to as we walk with God. 
Now, secondly, not only can Enoch's walk be your walk, but Enoch's works can be your works. And I, I just mentioned this sort of, this is a, a brief point. But I, I do want to emphasize here that, you know, as we look at the life of Enoch, the book of Jude really shows us that he was a preacher of righteousness. He did wonderful deeds of righteousness. He shined his light in his generation. And you say, well, I could never do that. I could never do what Enoch did. And, and you're right, you can't. But you know what? God can shine through you, through the way he has made you and gifted you uniquely. And the book of Ephesians actually tells us that God has prepared for us good works in advance that we should walk in them. We need to abide in Him. As we walk with Him in holiness, as we walk with Him in, in humbleness, God will do through us what we could never do on our own. We can do Enoch's works by faith. And then lastly, <coughs> Enoch's hope can be your hope. If this sign of Enoch is that those who walk with God in this life or most assuredly will walk with him in the next. Uh, I think, you know, if I were to be honest with you, as I think about the story of Enoch, I kind of hope I go out like him, you know? Like, wouldn't it be cool if there was three people that got to go be translated to heaven, right? I'll, I'll volunteer for that, right? I don't want to taste death. Rich Mullins wrote a song quite a few years ago entitled Elijah. And it really has always resonated with me. He says, But when I leave, I want to go out like Elijah, with a whirlwind to fuel my chariot of fire. And when I look back on the stars, it'll be like a candlelight at Central Park, and it won't break my heart to say goodbye. I love that song. What a wonderful way to go. You know, you may think that, that that's, you know, silly wishing to be able to, to leave this earth like Enoch or like Elijah, but did you know that that is really the hope of all the redeemed of God? It's a hope that we all share. And it, it's not even an unbiblical hope. The Bible tells us that, that Jesus is going to return one day, and when he returns, if we happen to be the last generation that's around, that there will be a moment where the last trumpet will sound and, and those who are in Christ will be suddenly ushered into his presence and, and then we will be with him forever. Let me just read a couple of these verses because they're so encouraging. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 15 and 18. 15 through 18 says this, For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. That's the hope of Enoch, isn't it? It's the hope of Elijah that the Lord will return for those he loves. And it is a small thing for God to snatch us from this world. 
1 Corinthians 15, verses 51 and 52 says this, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. Enoch's hope is our hope. You know, even if we are, are not the last generation, aren't instantly translated into heaven, we have this same hope even as we stare the curse of death in the face. The sting of death is forever gone for those of us who are in Christ. Listen to one more story before I let you go this morning. Uh, this was one I read in Jim Boyce's commentary. He said this, This hope has transformed death for Christians in all ages. In the year 1899, two famous men died in America. One was an unbeliever who had made a career of attacking the Bible, and the other was a Christian. The unbeliever was Colonel Ingersoll, and the believer was Dwight L. Moody. Ingersoll died suddenly, and his death was an unmitigated shock to his family. The body was kept at the Ingersoll home for several days because Ingersoll's wife could not bear to part with it. But it was finally removed because of the health of the family required it. Ingersoll's remains were then cremated, and the display at the crematorium was so dismal that some of the scene was picked up by the newspapers and communicated to the nation at large. Ingersoll had used his great intellect to deny Christianity, but when death came, there was no hope, and the departure was received by his friends as an uncompensated tragedy. In the same year, the great, evan the great evangelist died, D.L. Moody. Moody had been declining for some time, and his family had taken turns being with him. On the morning of his death, his son, who was standing by at the bedside, heard him exclaim, Earth is receding. Heaven is opening up. God is calling. Oh, you're dreaming, Father, the son said. Moody answered, no, Will, this is no dream. I have been within the gates. For a while it seemed as if Moody was reviving, but he began to slip away again, and, and he said this, is this death? This isn't bad. There's no valley. This is bliss. This is glorious. By this time his daughter was present, and she began to pray for his recovery. And he said, no, no, Emma, don't pray for that. God is calling. This is my coronation day. I have been looking forward to it. End quote. Shortly after, the, after this, Moody was received into heaven. And at the funeral of the family and friends, joined together in joyful service to the Lord. They spoke. They sang hymns. They heard the word proclaimed. And they heard this specific word proclaimed, Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Enoch's walk with God can be your walk with God by faith. Enoch's walk with God can be your walk with God. There is no greater privilege than walking with the God who made you. And then 
one day, whether it be the last trumpet or the sleep of death, you can continue that walk with him for all eternity. The pattern of, and he died, and he died, and he died, was broken once for all by Jesus Christ when he conquered death. Let me encourage you, my church, my church family, walk with him. Walk with him. Walk with him today. Walk with him tomorrow. Walk with him the next day. Don't give up. Don't give in. Put your faith in him and know that he is there for you. Stay on that trajectory that he has laid out before you because it's a glorious one. And it leads to everlasting life with him. You know, it's, it's never too late to start a new trajectory. It's never too late. Today can be the day of salvation for you. Let's pray.